Welcome to the Burning Hearts Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us this week. Thanks so much. I don't think I've been uh, introduced as being cool before. I kind of like that. It's pretty cool, right? To be introduced as cool. Hey, Burning Hearts, it's so good to be with you guys. I have been to North Dakota on multiple occasions now. And I I could say, seriously, I, I feel like I'm tougher having come here. Because probably three or four, three out of four, four out of five times I've been here, it's been below zero. Like first time I ever came, it was below, it was negative 12. That wasn't even, my understanding, I wasn't even wind chilled. I was just negative 12. And, and at that point in time, that was the record. I had never been in like anything that cold. I actually kind of felt like, Lord, get me through this. Like, don't let the car stop on the side of the road. You're just going to find a Prius with a fudgesicle in it, you know, like that would be Sean previously. But I, I love, I love your culture. I love the people. I love the warmth. Love the families. Uh, I'm from uh, the West Coast. I'm from Northern California. I live just outside of Oakland, San Francisco Bay Area. I was born and raised in Oakland, California. I grew up in the in the hood. It was rough a little bit. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll tell you a little bit about my testimony. But one of the things that I just love about different regions of the United States, like right outside that door to the left. All of you have your coats hanging up. Like, from where I was from, you couldn't do that. Like, you come back out, your coat is gone, all right? Just, just letting you know. But we sanctified and saved in here, so you can, your coat will be there and meet you at the end, right? Chris, great job with worship, man. Sure love you. I've known this guy for a while. Uh, he and his wife, they're amazing. Pastor Nate, I'm serious. I'm, I'm worshiping next to Pastor Nate. And in a good way, I'm convicted. Like, like I want to be more fiery for the Lord, man. And when you have leadership like that, it's just abandoned. I mean, authentic. I mean, just, just going after God. It gives you permission to just be free in terms of who the sanctified version of who God's called you to be. Thanks so much, Nate. Uh, if you got a Bible, I'm going to jump right in this for the sake of time. If you got a Bible, if you'd open up your Bible and you go to Second. Samuel, uh, second, excuse me, first Samuel chapter 30, first Samuel chapter 30. Uh, like I said, I was born and raised in Oakland, California. I'm just going to fast forward all my stuff and just say, by the time I got to college, I was a three part Maury Povich episode, meaning I was highly dysfunctional, like raised by an alcoholic, raised in abject poverty. Uh, my dad and mom were never married. Didn't meet my dad till I was five. And then my dad was murdered. Uh, by policemen. Uh, when, I, when, when I was nine, it was proven in court. It was racially motivated. I thank God for policemen. I've got relatives and family uh, when they're, uh, you know, protecting and they're putting their lives on the line. That's a, that's a tough job. These particular officers weren't good people. So they murdered my dad just for the sake of his race. And so nine years of age, I'd, I had my dad in my life. I met him for the first time at five. Uh, he lived in San Jose, California, Silicon Valley. I lived in inner city Oakland. So I, I had my dad part-time when he was murdered at nine. This is the point I want to punctuate as we're going to go to this passage. I had in my struggle was probably the characteristic struggle of a generation. I struggled with this thing called an orphan heart. And uh, you can have a dad in place and still have an orphan heart if you don't understand Father God and feel the love and the, and the a complete acceptance that, that only Jesus brings. And so I was in my high school stage. I was in this massive experience 
experimentation. It was twofold. Number one, I was asking some experience out there to rescue me from the pain I felt in here. But how many of you know that that's a futile experiment? Like many have gone before us and have tried to fill that with drugs and, and sex and like rebellion and whatever else is out there. And it just doesn't do it. Popularity. So because of the unlawful murder of my dad, it was, it was a murder, but there was the, the ruling in the case was an unlawful homicide or whatever. Uh, there was awards money given to myself and my two half sisters that can only be used for education. So I chose this school, University of Pacific, because they had a computer engineering program. And actually, that's my degree. And so I went to this university. I partied like there was like no tomorrow. Give me two more minutes and I'll, I'll complete this segment. I mean, I partied hard. I was out of my mind and it's like, my grandmother during that time, she had been alcoholic. She raised me. She went to a small Pentecostal holiness storefront church. She got saved. She got delivered. She came back to our apartment, broke all our alcohol bottles, said grandma. And I'm looking at her kind of, you know, like we, I was getting ready to go to college. And like when you're a junior senior high school, junior or senior in high school, you feel like you know everything. You know the cure to the common cold. Like the world just needs to catch up with you, right? And so I'm looking at my grandma and I'm like, no, 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 that's not how you get off a banned substance or substance you'd want to ban in your life. You do successive reductions. You go to a Betty Ford chill out center. That's my, my verbiage for a detox center. And so you do that. And my grandmother was like already prophetic and she's saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. She got more prophetic. She looked at me and she said, Hey, baby, because I'm thinking in my head, you need to do it another way. But I would never say that to my grandma because she's from Dumas, Arkansas. And my grandmother, if you don't know my grandma, my grandma, she's in heaven, but she is Medea of Diary of a Mad Black Woman. She will mess you up. You just, three things you didn't do in my neighborhood, all three of them was mess with my grandmother, all right? So my grandma looked at me. She said, grandma don't need to take 12 steps. Grandma just need to take one to Jesus Christ. I saw the transformation in her life. So I'm partying. I come back one night. I never thought I would get to this place. I think no one around me would have thought I got to this place. But I was, I was that empty and it was that much pain and it had gotten so dark in my life that I was going to kill myself. Not just they thought. I had a plan, stupid plan, but I was going to carry this thing out. But that night, I'm going to party like there's no tomorrow. There was two things I was going to check off my list before I killed myself the next day. I had a plan. I knew how I was going to do this. I partied like crazy that night. But the second thing is I was going to call on my grandmother's God and, and just like it changed my grandmother. She's real. I don't know if all of a lot of folks out there, I don't know if you're a real Christian, but my grandma's a real Christian. I'm not saying that of you. I'm saying that was my sentiment at the time because I'd seen a lot of hypocrisy. And so I came back from this party. I mean, this cold, dark, like, like dorm room. And I said, Jesus, if you real, I want to experience you. And if you let me experience you, I'll give you everything. I didn't really think that Jesus was going to answer that. I kind of thought maybe when I stand before him in, in heaven, I'm getting judged. Let's play that videotape. I see I cried out right there. That was me. I was trying, right? I passed out, not because I was drunk, because I was wiped out. And I'm awakened at three o'clock in the morning. Now, this may stretch some of you. Maybe it won't. I'm awakened because someone woke me up. And I, I lived in the dorm by myself at this time. I had a, I had a solo kind of like studio apartment, if you want to call it that. I'm awakening at three o'clock in the morning. I see Jesus like I see you. I see Jesus. Like I'm, I'm seeing a fiery corporeality, meaning, meaning that he had arms, legs, a body. His face was like the sun shining as John wrote Revelation. His eyes are like lightning. I hear the, he speaks to me audibly. Like in that point in time, like it was this weird thing of feeling totally love, 
totally uh, this euphoric peace and feeling totally terrified at the same time. Can't even describe this thing. Like, like, uh, and, and so first thing he said to me, and it's good. That's why angels, when angels come, they first say, fear not, right? You ever notice that? Because if they don't say fear not, you're going to empty the contents of your bladder on the spot, right? Like, so that's why they always had to show up. They, that's in angel training, show up and say fear not, right? Jesus didn't say fear not, but he said, I'll be a father to the fatherless. And if you're old enough to have seen the movie Jerry Maguire, classic line, you had me at hello. The moment he said, I'll be a father to the fatherless, I mean, he had me. And, and immediately in that moment, I was like completely transformed. Can't even begin to describe. I got up the next day. It was, it was Julie Andrews and the sound of music. The, the skies are blue. The grass is green. The hills are alive. You know, and I'm, 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 I'm down. I started witnessing the everything that moved. I'm like, hey, y'all need to know about Jesus. I led everyone but one person in my fraternity to the Lord. I led 28 people to Christ in the first month I was saved. It, wait, it wasn't even, it wasn't that I was that great at witnessing. It was that they were that shocked that I was saved. That's how that was my secret. Like, Sean, you say, oh man, it must be a God. Sign me up, bro. You know, that's how I was leading people to the Lord, right? I remember three weeks into it, I stood up in the middle of our student union on campus and I shared my testimony, wanting people to get saved. My heart burned that people would know Jesus. I couldn't understand for the life of me in that time. And I, I've grown a little bit more. I'm a little bit older now, right? I couldn't understand for the life of me why everyone wouldn't want to give their life to Christ. Like, you, you must not know Jesus. Because if you knew Jesus, you'd want to give your life to this, this one. His love, his, uh, uh, man, just protection, the way he walks with you. You're never alone, the peace. We're not even talking about heaven when you die yet and being saved from hell. I'm just talking about the French benefits of walking with the, the, your creator and your purpose. And, man, I just started witnessing to people. So I just say that by way of this. I believe that we are going to live to see, I slowed down on, on purpose, we're going to live to see the greatest ingathering of souls the nations of the world has ever seen. Do not write North America off. I believe and tear up your unsavable list. I'm convinced you and I are going to see people that we never thought get saved are going to get saved. We're going to see the greatest signs and wonders movement the earth has ever seen. I'm convinced literally that there's, and and I'll I'll be the first to tell you, I believe that this whole COVID quarantine is a fast track to awakening. I believe that God is at work behind the scenes. Some people are like, God is like, oh my God, you know, like he's fretting over a disease. Come on, somebody. God is not on the throne with the N95 mask on, keeping the angel Gabriel and Michael six feet social distancing. Come on, somebody. This little one one billionth of a yardstick virus called Corona, whatever it is, Omicron and whatever is next. I mean, I, I was telling I was like, we got more variants of Corona than Loki on Disney Plus. Come on, somebody, if anybody's watching that. That's, that's a lot of variants, all right? There's at least seven of them or something like that. But how many of you know we serve the Alpha and Omega. It don't matter if it was the Omicron, if it was the Delta. Like, we serve. So here's my, my point that I want to say, right? And we will read this passage. I'm actually preaching now, right? I heard Christians say this line, and I just want to address it for a second. I've heard it, and if I didn't hear it, you could sense the sentiment of it. Where believers would say, I just want to get back to normal, meaning I want to get back to the way church and Christian life was pre-March 17th, 2020. Now, 
if getting back to that man, like you guys are pretty free here. California is mass. In the county I live in, you can't go into a restaurant if you don't have a vaccination. Uh, you can't go see the Golden State Warriors on, like, starting the 20th of this month unless you have a vaccination and a booster on top of that and can, or show a vaccination or show that you do not test positive. It's just crazy, right? And so I know there are people that are saying, hey, I don't want all those restrictions. I'd love to get back. I'd love to not worry about what's the latest this, the latest that. Let me get back. But let me say something to you. God didn't send coronavirus, but I believe God has used it. And I believe one of the things that God has done, I need you to smile with me in advance, North Dakota. Come on, smile with me. I believe that God has used this to blow the Laodicean dust off the church. I think if you know anything about the Laosian church in Revelation, uh, she had gotten a little f uh, uh, high on herself, a little full of herself. She had become a little prideful, a little self-reliant. Uh, and God says that literally, I counsel you to buy from me like gold refined by fire and I salve that you could see. I believe that Lord want us to see our condition that we thought we were okay because maybe we were filling some seats and maybe the budget was good and all that other stuff. But I'm not trying to get back to that normal because I believe as far as God's concerned, the way church looked like then is not normal. God sends revival to show us what normal ought to look like. Come on, I got three amens, but I'm gonna keep preaching. I, I, I know... I know there's a bit of a Norwegian kind of conservative. You're not going to shout me down. I've been in this region, but y'all can shout me down, all right? Just humor the brother. I'm out here in negative whatever degree temperature because I love you. So you can shout me down, all right? So I think we're trying to get back to that normal. And God is saying that normal is abnormal to me. That I'm not just trying to get back to where you got your program running good and you're filling a couple seats and you got your budget. Come on. God wants to get us to the place where we're desperate for his presence so the Holy Ghost can come front and center and rule and flow in the service. We're not binding and gagging the Holy Ghost and putting them in a the back room or in Wednesday night small groups that the Holy Spirit can be front and center on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about the power of God so strong. Someone might run to an altar to give their life to Christ before the altar call. Someone might get delivered and he'll sitting in their seat. I want a Holy Ghost service. I'm looking for a no. Hey, because I think you're with me, man. We've had enough man-made services. I want a service that's a reflection of God in their midst. I'm looking for a kingdom whose builder and maker is God. I want something that only God can produce because how many of you know there's something that the spirit of religion or religion and <laughs> the bride of Frankenstein have in common? You're going, where are you going with that? They're both man-made and ugly. Okay, that's my, that's my thing. Bride of Frankenstein, spirit of religion. All right, First Samuel chapter 30. It says, uh, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the men who were with them lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives, Ahinoam, you could do that back in the day, right? <laughs> David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man 
for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Come out of last season was kind of tricky. And for some, we're still waiting for them to come out of last season. We need to get them out of 2020. We're in 2022 now. Like some people went so far into survival mode, right? That they got beef jerky. They got a camel water pack. They got, you know, they're, they're, they're on some sort of safari. We need you to come back to who God made you to be. Now, what do you mean by that, Sean? Here's what I mean. The test of last season was are we going to run to a comfort zone or are we going to run to the zone of the comforter? The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as capital C, the comforter. So are we going to run to a zone for our comfort in the midst of so much adaptive energy, so much crisis, we're in inflation now, we're paying two more dollars for a gallon of gas than you guys are, real estate's going up, it's crazy. Are we going to run to a zone for our comforter but, or as the North American church, are we going to run to the third person of the Trinity and say, God, out of desperation. Now, let me submit something to you and I'm fired up about it. I believe my findings, my wife would agree with me, is we've crisscrossed and traveled this nation exclusively the last couple of years, although we do go outside of the nation and we will this year. I have observed that many people are coming back to church more hungry than I've seen the church in my time in ministry, which now is about three decades, right? Like I'm, I'm getting up there, right? I've never seen believers as hungry as they are. I've never seen believers give themselves, I'm talking about as a whole, a macrocosmic look at the North American church. Obviously there've been pockets, there's been outpourings, there's been stirrings, there's been revivals, there's been special meetings, but I'm seeing us basic rank and file believer that sits in a pew or in a seat on a Sunday morning. I've never seen them as hungry. Now, hold that thought. Also, I've never seen the world as desperate as I've seen the world out there. I was mentioning yesterday and talking to some of the school of ministry. After 20 years, I led my neighbor to the Lord. For 20 years, he knows I'm a believer. He knows I love the Lord. Alex, great guy. Love this guy, man. And, and just been a good neighbor. I've been a good neighbor to him. After 20 years in the midst of this past season, he comes to me sharing how tough it's been. He's basically been in a storm without an anchor. He needs an anchor. And that's the discovery right now of this point in time that Jesus is an anchor in every storm. I end up praying with him. He gives his life to Christ. I feel like right now we have this intersection of a hunger for Jesus in the church and a desperation for a supernatural solution in the world. And when those two have come together in history, although I didn't bring this book, I've written a book on revival, what you have is revival and awakening at the same time. Now, my studies of revival, I have found that revivals happen after seasons of disruption. The greater the disruption historically, the greater the revival. Has anybody seen a greater disruption than what we're living or have lived through in these past, at this point, practically two years, right? And here is the woe unto us. The woe unto us is if we treat this last season as an interruption. When you're thinking interruption, you're thinking of, I want to get back to what I was doing before whatever this crisis broke out. But I don't believe God wants us to treat this season as an interruption, but a disruption. When you have an interruption, you're trying to get back to what you were doing before. When you have a disruption, you recognize that there's a purposeful uh, connection, or let me rephrase it, purposeful disconnection between whatever it was before and now what God is about to lead you into. How many of you are with me? 
This past season, and I don't want to spend a long time on it. I think you'd agree. It's been a season of losses, right? I mean, people have lost a lot of stuff. People have lost jobs. People have lost revenue. People have lost their sanity, right? Mental health issues. People have lost their witness. Hello, Facebook rants. Come on, somebody, right? Some people have lost loved ones. And some people have gotten lost in their losses. I say that because every December, including this past December, my wife and I, we, we take that as a sabbatical month. We just kind of, we're not traveling, we're not ministering, we're just taking that time to rest, to pray, seek God, holidays, obviously Christmas time. And so uh, this would be December of 2020. We come back, it had been a great, uh, you know, we got out and we traveled a lot. We just end up going to Texas a lot or other places where the mandates weren't as quite as restrictive. And we came back from a phenomenal meeting. We saw God move mightily. And so we're coming back, and this is sometimes how life can happen. All of a sudden, we're coming back, and we're just rejoicing over what God has done. And I get that phone call. Nobody wants it 3 a.m. in the morning. And just probably about a week ago, we had transitioned my mother into senior assistant living. And uh, she was, you know, she could take care of herself and everything. She just needed an extra set of eyes on her. It was a nice, nice place. And then we get this phone call that my mom had collapsed in the middle of the night, uh, had a massive heart uh, issue, and she was not able to be resuscitated. And so they brought her to St. Rose Hospital, probably about 20 miles from where I live. And so immediately, you're three o'clock in the morning, you get that call, you're racing, you're praying, you go, oh my God. And then we get to the hospital, long story short, uh, my mom doesn't, doesn't make it, my mom passes. And anybody that's lost their mom, let me just say this, there's a unique thunderbolt of loneliness that strikes your soul when you lose the one that birthed you and brought you in a world that knew you from negative nine months to whatever it is you are now. And so it was really devastating. And then I discovered something about this thing of losses. And I'm going to talk to you not so much about losses. I'm going to talk to you about what to do when you're in a season of loss is that we preach victory. And of course we do. Like, what is the alternative? We're going to preach defeat? No. Leave a church that preaches defeat, right? We got to preach victory. Like in him, in Christ, we are victorious. But also in our humanity, because I came back from this trip and this ministry where there was victory, victory, victory. But then I come back and discover my mom dies and there's this thing of vulnerability. And then I begin to realize as human beings, we oscillate or ride this, this, this divine tension between victory and vulnerability. And anyone that doesn't talk to you like that, they're just not real. I, I don't even have to ask you to raise hands on how many of you have felt vulnerable in one way or another over the last period of time. We, we oscillate between the two. And to understand that is to understand this passage that happens right here in 1 Samuel chapter 30 as David alternates between victory and, uh, victory and vulnerability. But before I do it, let me give you one verse that I think will help you. It says in Isaiah 42, 22 through 23, Isaiah the prophet says, but this is a people robbed and plundered. Come on, that was like taking place in my neighborhood. The whole thing, it was like crazy. Antifa, B, all everybody was like robbing stuff in my neighborhood. It says, and they are snared in holes. Hello, that sounds like quarantine. Come on, somebody. And they are hidden in prison houses. I won't even tell you where that is. All right? And they are for prey. That would be P-R-E-Y. And no one delivers for plunder. And here's the phrase, and no one says restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will listen and hear for the time to come? What is God saying in this passage? The prophet is prophesying that when God is ready to do something new, he's looking amongst his people for a cry to restore. Notice that. He's saying people robbed, right? 
looting, there's civil unrest, snared in holes. They're probably out of fear in that, but they're quarantined. You can go down the list. They're hidden in prison houses, on and on and on. People have said the overreach of this government, the overreach of that, feel like we're in prison, we're not free, all that, but, and for plunder. But it says, and no one says restore. Somebody say restore. When God is ready to do something new, he first causes a cry and a rising in his people to recover, to restore. If God doesn't find that, let me tell you, the real crisis of this time is not an unseen but yet not unfelt virus. It's not civil unrest. It's not inflation index. It's not, you know, this political person, that political person, whatever line that you may fall on. Listen to me. The greatest crisis is the gap between our visible reality and what is biblically available. Please say you got that. You'll save me 15 minutes of preaching. That the crisis isn't all the things they're reporting on the news. The crisis is what we settle with versus what is available to us. And God is saying, you can settle in survival if you want to. But I'm ready to release something, but I need someone who will cry out, restore. The Bible talks about in Acts that heaven is, is refraining Jesus. Like people say, Jesus can come back any minute. Yeah, he can, but the Bible's clear that there's certain things that are gonna happen before he comes back. Matthew 24 talks about it, Acts 3. And it says that times of restoration would come before Jesus would return. That God is gonna restore. In other words, the way a North American Christianity looks like now, we're about to get a facelift. Come on, somebody. <laughs> We might even get a spiritual tummy tuck. Come on, somebody. I mean, God is going to do some procedures on the church. People that are out there in the Twitter hashtag church hurt movement. Let me tell you what. The church is going to look like Jesus because he's coming back for an equally yoked bride. But in order to get there, there has to be a cry. It's an intercessory cry. It's a burning heart desire. See, my voice just went through puberty. I was so much into that, right? It is a burning heart desire to say, God, let your will be done on earth as it is is in heaven. There's a cry. And when God is ready to do something new, he brings about restoration. I feel like the Lord is saying something to you, Burning Hearts Church. I feel like God is saying, I'm ready to turn your devastation into restoration if I could hear the cry that would come from my people. And what that looks like is revival. Now, you guys still with me? Biblical definition of restoration, by the way. Restoration, we would say, is I get back what I lost. I get back what was stolen to me. That, that business associate robbed me. I got restoration. He gave me back what he stole from me. No, it's not biblical definition. Biblical definition of restoration is not that you just get what the devil stole from you. It's that you get back to the original intention that God had for you before the enemy hit you, which is usually everything the devil took from you plus interest because he had the audacity to touch God. God's children. Oh! All right. I, every now and then, I just got to let out my own primeval scream on that one. All right. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. It's trying to be biblical. There's a difference between a repaired car, and a restored car. You repair, I got a car right now that's in the, it's, it's in the auto mechanics garage. It's an older car. It's, we would call it janky, which is kind of an urban dictionary term for your cars broke down a little bit, right? I'm trying to get it repaired. 
Round, I live in a cul-de-sac. Round the corner at the, at the, at the front of the, kind of the entranceway into our cul-de-sac is a guy that has a classic Mustang. I think it's like cherry red. It might be like a 65 Mustang. He is re- restoring it, right? You repair a janky car. You restore a classic. So many people are just trying to repair North America, repair their faith. But God doesn't want to repair. God wants restoration. If you can get someone that would say restoration. Somebody say restoration. Come on. All right. Now, here is David. David had been the Lion King or tens of thousands had kind of sung his praises. He was the king's son-in-law because he married King Saul, Israel's first reigning monarch, King Saul's daughter, Michael. He's the head of a division of an army. He's a national hero. He's the man anointed to be next king by the venerated prophet Samuel. And all of this happens. And then we read one chapter, essentially, it's probably a chapter before too. And everything flips on a dime to the complete opposite. Stick with me on this. He's separated from his dad at this point. No mention of his mom, which is very telling in Old Testament. No mention of a parental figure. It's probably because they've passed. One of his last encounters with his own brothers, they put him on blast. They said, you're full of pride. Your heart is insolent, right? His own spiritual uh, mentor and spiritual father at this point in time, Samuel had died. He's grieving the loss of that. The king Saul, who's his father-in-law, right, is throwing spears at him, has sent the royal guard that David used to be in charge of, at charge of, and has hired assassins to kill him. He's a fugitive. He's running. He's living in and out of caves. In the midst of all this, he's a fugitive. He's hated by King Saul. He's pursued by a large division of the army. Many of his early associates had been killed by bloodthirsty. At this point in time, Saul was out of his mind, mad, right? His first wife, Michael, He's out, dips on him, leaves to go with another guy. Now just just think, this is not a story. This is a man's life. You go from giant killer, king, anointed, venerated, to all this stuff is collapsing all around you. His his wife, Michael, is given to another man. He has to move out of wherever it was he was before. And check it out. You know when he fought Goliath, you know who Goliath represented? The Klingons of the Old Testament, the Philistines. Come on, somebody. How I many of you know Klingons always kept coming back in Star Trek? That was the perpetual nemesis, right? David, it got so bad, he goes to work for the Philistines. He's fighting Philistines' battles, right? Scholars tell us that for 10 years now, David had wrote no song. What happens when you go through a period where you lose your song? Here is David. All this has happened. He's going to work for the Philistines, and all of a sudden, one day, the Philistine boss says to David, uh, the boss above the boss, tells the boss, hey, we may go into a battle, and this dude may try to prove himself to King Saul and kind of turn against us in the middle of battle. I don't know if we could trust him. You're going to need to let him go. And all of a sudden, right, David's boss is bringing him a pink slip. He's fired. You think the day got bad, it's about to get a lot worse, right? He goes, he does the only thing you can do in all that. You want to go home to your wife and kids, except at this point, David had wives, like the Old Testament, right? And so he's walking back to Ziglag. He had a little bit of a kind of a little settlement. He sees smoke coming up, right? Now, if you're from my family, that means we're having a Smith family barbecue, okay? 
That's maybe what he thought. Okay, man, they, they celebrate. My wife's got out the cow, the oxen, and whatever else they're eating. And they're going to barbecue that. Throw some leeks on there, whatever leek is. They ate that in Egypt, right? And so he comes, smoke's coming up, and he comes to find out this isn't a barbecue. His place has been burned down. His wives, his kids, his men's wives and kids, and all their belongings has been hauled off, right? And he, he, hey, hey, the Amalekites hit him up while they were gone. He's wondering where God is at. He's not writing any songs. Somebody say losses. Losses. Say it again. Losses. He's experiencing multiple losses here. And then to add, if it couldn't get worse, the bottom had already fallen out. To put the cherry on the top, the enemy's trying to really get you to break down and just have like one of those moments. His men that he discipled, that he raised up, they're picking up rocks to stone him. Like, are you kidding me? I prayed you through. I prayed deliverance. I came and visited you. I was doing, man, a hospital visitation on your mom where she, I mean, I pastored you. And in this time, you're going to pick up a rock to stone me. Let's just say in the natural, he earned a breakdown. Come on, somebody. He earned a break. He could be in a fetal position, thumb in his mouth, torquing chocolates, chocolates on a Netflix binge, right? I mean, he earned it. And then David does the most crazy thing in the world. It's like, I look at this, I'm like, I don't even know you, David. What does David do? The Bible says he strengthened himself in the Lord. <laughs> Hashtag mic drop. And I begin to say, oh my God, the prescription for the church of North America in the midst of loss is that we got to understand that we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. How many of you know, there's there certain points in time I can't count on someone else to strengthen me, right? All right, your, your favorite podcaster, your favorite announcer, your favorite news network, they're not there to strengthen you, right? The word strengthen, let me get into the Hebrew word. It means chazog, it means to fasten a grip, that David fastened a grip. I would surmise, and you could just read it and pull it out of the text, is how did he strengthen himself in the Lord? He didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read the writings of Paul, this Old Testament. What he did is he reminded himself of the promises of God. Let me just tell you right now, this whole season we're coming out of is for you to get back in touch with the promises that the Lord has spoke to your heart. The prophetic words, you need to pull those things back out. You and the word of God are about to have a glorious rude reunion. God is going to bring you back because let me tell you what, you can't go on their opinions. You need to know what God is saying. Let me just throw something else out there. I refuse to be advised by someone that isn't advised by the word of God. Now I may look up your YouTube channel and find out how to fix my unclogged drain. I don't require that of you. But if I'm making a serious life choice, I'm going to be advised by people who are advised by the word of God. Why? Because bad advice in a crisis can take a wrong turn real quick. We need to hear from the Lord. Let me tell you right now what this whole COVID past season is about. Let me tell you two things you were supposed to get out of it. Number one, it was supposed to be a moment where you unplug from unnecessary distractions. And that is key. Number two, you were to strengthen your God connection. And somewhere along the line, there was a call to repent, to consecrate. And, and let me just say, if you got out of last season and none of that stuff affected you, and lovingly, let me just lovingly tell you, just treat me for a moment like I'm Uncle Sean, so I'm loving you. You missed the moment. 
If in this entire time, you weren't unplugged from certain distractions, strengthen your connection to God and consecrate your life in certain areas, let me just throw this out, it's not too late because the move of God is coming, but God is doing this so that we will be ready. He told Joshua, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders in your midst. It's a consecrate yourself for the Lord will do wonders in your midst moment. So here is David, his men are speaking of stone him. He strengthened himself in the Lord. Come on, sometimes, how many of you, you got to strengthen yourself. I can't wait till next Sunday, Pastor Jana, man, Pastor Nate, I can't wait till someone else strengthen me. Hey, I went to church Sunday, I'm going to need strength in Monday morning. I need to know how to get into the Bible. I need to know how to pray, meditate, throw on my Maverick City worship, iTunes playlist. Come on, you're going to have to know how to get in touch with God and to feel the presence of God in this hour. It is a skill. The skill of the hour is to know how to enter into the presence of God. You got that skill, you're going to be all right. Come on, just touch somebody and say, you're going to be all right. Come on, just, just touch somebody. You're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. So here is David. Things had gotten so bad, he switched sides for a hot minute. He goes to the Philistines. They fire him. He's been ripped off by the Malachites. The Malachites didn't just do a drive-by, they pulled up a U-Haul. They ripped them off. They stole everything. This was the Grinch, right? On the Grinch who stole Christmas before he had his born-again moment. He's still in the last can of hoo-hash, crumb from the mouse, folded up the Christmas tree like an umbrella. They, he's, Malachi's just stealing everything. Let me, let me just relate it to us. Okay, younger generation, imagine. Malachi's come in your house, they steal your Nintendo Switch and your iPhone 13. Come on, somebody. Now went from Gen Z, now millennials. Come on. They stole your MacBook Pro, your hard drive, and burned down your favorite coffee shop. Okay, come on, somebody. Men, I saw the men are getting together. They stole your brand new 65-inch Samsung 5K flat screen with built-in Roku, and you just put your new sports package on it. Come on, somebody. Now I'm talking to the ladies. They stole your Magnolia Farms table cookbook with actual illustrations from Chip and Joanna Gaines that you guys signed because you went down there during Silo Weekend. Come on, somebody. And if you're from the hood, like, oh, no, no, I've got to, I got to talk to the seniors. The, uh, they went in and stole your 12-season Bonanza DVD with Lauren Green, Haas, Little Joe, and the brother. Nobody remembers his name. They stole all your original DVDs. And if you're from the hood like you, they stole your baby girl, they stole your boo, and they stole little Bubba. Come on. They stole everything. I, did I leave anybody out? They stole it all. And here's David. Strengthen, but guess what that verse said in Isaiah? Plundering, pray, but is there anyone that cries restore? And David flips what takes you out of a season of loss into a season of momentum and greater gain than the loss you had before you originally hit. And David said to the Lord, first of all, let me say this. He went to his pastor, his pastor was priest, Abiathar. He said, bring me an ephod. That, I could preach on that for a moment. So many others are throwing in the towel. He says, bring me the ephod. Ephod was like a garment that the priest wore to hear directly from God. It's time to reach for your ephod. It's time to say, what? I need to hear the voice of God. If there's ever been a time, oh my God, I can't emphasize this enough. I really wish I could preach sometime. I wish I could preach. I can't emphasize enough. If there was, oh, if there was ever a time that you had to hear from God, it's right now. You got to clear all distraction, clear your schedule. You got to get alone. And what is God saying to you and your family? What is he saying for the next days of your life? It's so important to hear the voice of God. And so here's David. And he said, bring me the ephod. And then here's what David does. This is his cry to restore. 
He says, Lord, shall I pursue them? It wasn't, Lord, should I lay on the couch? Lord, shall I have a breakdown? Lord, shall I reach for another pharmaceutical drug with whispering side effects that give you side effects worse than the original condition that you took the drug to help you with to begin with, right? He said, shall I pursue? And the Lord says, yeah, pursue, for you shall surely overcome all. I feel like the Lord says, that's the word for you right now. And so these dudes are behind them. Like David is having a moment with the Lord. They got rocks and stones, and I love this, right? David said, amen. We're going to go get our wives and our stuff back. And the dudes drop the rocks, go, yeah. And they go, you know what I learned? I learned something about the church. We, we are inherently militant. Now, if you're visiting, what I mean by militant is that we, we want to fight for people's freedom. We want to fight that you'd experience the love of God. We want to fight for the sanctity of life. We want to fight for the next generation. We want to fight that, man, drugs or suicide or whatever doesn't take out our sons and our daughters. We fight. But watch this. They were ready to stone David, but this tells me something. The body of Christ, we're inherently, inherently, right, militant. That if we don't fight the real battle, we end up fighting each other. I've seen churches split over the color of carpet, over the songs they sang, over this. You didn't sing my worship song today. Like, okay, I'm going to love you. All right, everybody smile. Here's the smile break. Chris and them, they pray, they hear from God. Trust their song list. They didn't sing your song. That's why you got Apple iTunes playlist. Go load up the songs you want to hear. You play that in your car. You worship God. But this isn't about you. This is a corporate expression where we're lifting up the name of Jesus. We're going to sing the songs of heaven and trust that they're hearing from God. Come on, somebody. But I'm telling you, people will get mad and get ready to throw stones. What that proves to me is you're not really in the battle. If you were battling for souls, if you were battling for your city, if you were battling for your destiny, you wouldn't have time to get on Facebook and battle other believers like that. So here's David. David says, come on. Now, he doesn't know where they're going to go. And Chris, give me five minutes. Jump up here. I believe there were some footprints south. The Bible gives us a little bit of a direction. So he's heading south to try to find the Amalekites. He doesn't know if they're alive. He doesn't know if he can get his stuff. He's just willing to go fight. I got to at least check this out. I can't just sit back and be in survival. I got to go to what is on my brother's shirt. I got to step into revival. Revival needs to bring the life again. I'm getting my fight back. So many people, we lost our fight in this last season. And God is saying, it's time to get your fight back. I know you're weary. I know you're a little bit tired. But God is saying, this is going to be an incredible season of growth, numerically, spiritually, in every sense, if we will fight for something. And so David goes, and I imagine there's some footprints, but like I've been to the Middle East. Man, there's these wind things that could just blow. And after a while, I'm sure the sand doesn't look like you could see a footprint. And he comes up to a river. And all of a sudden, getting a river, he's kind of getting some water. He has 600 men. He's going against some of the scholars estimate like they're outnumbered significantly. So probably tens of thousands of people. So 600 to tens of thousands. You're already outnumbered. So it already has to be God or else you're not going to make it, right? He comes to a river getting water. One third of his army said, we're not going on. He has 600 people against tens of thousands. And 200 say, oh, no, we're good right here. So I mean, you know, at that point, point in time, he is experiencing a loss even in the midst of his recovery. Some people would have stopped there and go, oh my God, we, we can't do it. Maybe this is not God. 200 people. Now, ironically, okay, ironically, George Barnard, who does sociologists, Christian sociologists, studies church, he says one third of the church never made it back to church after COVID-19. 
Now I get it. Maybe some people are watching. I'm so glad you're watching. That maybe there's some genuine health crisis. We always want to be sensitive to that. But some people, hey, man, y'all made it back to Walmart. You made it back to Target. You made it back to Home Depot. How come you can't make it back to church? Three snaps. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited, but I like my chances in this aisle than aisle 12 in Home Depot. I think I might get healed here. I might be blessed here. I might get some favor, and that COVID will just fall to the ground off me when I'm walking down. I just believe if I'm with a covenant group of people in community loving the Lord, God's going to look out for me, right? He lost one-third. Now, I love David. He doesn't write them off. He says, okay, y'all stay here, and the Bible says he left some baggage there. Some this ravine, it's a juncture between whatever we were before and whatever is coming next. You're going to have to leave some baggage at the ravine. There's some things you can't drag that drum across that river. You got to leave some stuff. I know it sounds like a New Year's message, but it's a new season and a new era. There's certain things. It's not going to look like how it looked. So I can't just keep doing what I always done. Obviously, there's certain disciplines and certain tr tr spiritual traditions. I'm going to worship. I'm going to read. But there are other little things that Sean has done just to kind of do it in my season, but God is saying, you're going, it's going to look different. I'm going to, Mike Bickle said this. He said the Lord came to him in Cairo, Egypt, 1982. And he says, the Lord spoke to him and he says, I'm going to redefine the understanding and expression of Christianity in one generation. And I now see how it's going to happen. It's coming on the heels of COVID. So here they go. Come on, Chris, come up. Because I hear music. It's Pavlovian. I begin to shut up when I hear music. It's like, like, ring the bell, feed the doll, ring the bell, feed the doll. Okay, never mind. I preach too much. When I hear music, it's like, okay, it's time to shut down. So here they go. They're off in the way. I, I know I changed direction, but I need more room. So I'm heading this way. I'm going to try to find. And he's leaving the river. And the Bible says, and they found an Egyptian. They found an Egyptian. Let me explain to you something about this Egyptian they found. This Egyptian had been a servant to the Amalekites. And one day, right? Bible says the guy was sick. One day he's saying, my throat doesn't feel good. I feel a little bit of feverish. I can't smell and I don't taste my food right now. Oh, you got COVID, bro. We're going to leave you right here. Bye-bye. And man, they took off. They left him there. It doesn't sound like they left him with any food. It's supernatural that God kept that Egyptian alive. Why? Because what looked like an interruption was actually the key for you regaining everything that was taken from you. Because David gave him water. I love that. You don't have to be one of us for me to feed you. You don't have to be one of us. You don't have to vote like I vote, be of my political party, be of my persuasion, do what I do. I'm just going to love you. I'm, I'm telling you what. Our ability to recover what God wants to do in the North American church requires that we find the Egyptians in our cities. We got to go after people that don't know the Lord. And you know what I mean? Go after. I mean, we got to love on them and be Jesus. Help them. Lend a hand. Jesus, the Bible says, David gave the Egyptian dates, raisins, and water. And I could just see this dude is languished, man. He's hurting, man. Sometimes you probably don't get it on the streets as much here because it's too cold. But we have, and I was just riding through my home city, my birth city, Oakland, and just these homeless camps and settlements underneath overpasses like they've just made like a homeless city and in the midst of I don't know what's going on I'm sure a lot of governmental stuff has, has, has shifted during the time of this crisis and I'm just going my god we got to be able to do something and I've got friends throughout the country that are doing some things but I'm like any single thing we do there there's single moms that need help man there's this foster care system we got to find the Egyptians we got to it can't just be about you
It's got to be about helping somebody. We got to make this Christianity an outward thing. We turned it inward, but man, COVID came and God got us out of building. And so how many of you know God showed us that we got to have Christianity outside of building? Amen, Sean, preach that. Okay, I think I will, amen. All of a sudden, this languishing Egyptian, his man been like out, but God kept his dude alive. And all of a sudden, he gets enough water, gets enough nourishment, and he goes, this is my imagination. They went that away. <laughs> How many of you know, David found maps app right there on the ground, right? They mistreated him, but yet God kept him alive so he could show. And then now, two minutes. David comes upon the Amalekites, 400 men plus one Egyptian, beat them all down across the Middle Eastern parking lot. They take everything that was stolen from them, but that's not all. And this is where I close. The Bible says, and he also got David's spoil. David's spoil wasn't just what was stolen from him. It was what they had taken from a bunch of other people. So David got everything that was taken from him, but he got, this is a picture of restoration. He got David's spoil. I, I believe that God's got some David's spoil, but now let me, let me, let me borrow that awesome t-shirt of my, my brother that says revival. Not borrow the shirt, but borrow the phrase. My phrase is this, revival is our revenge. I don't want to just get back to surviving Christianity, survival Christianity. We're back in a building. We're back doing this. And y'all been back for a while, right? And I'm back and we're not dealing with that. And we're not talking about it. We're not talking about jab, no jab. We're not talking about the latest variant. No, no. I want an undistracted gaze on Jesus in here. And I want the name of Jesus to be made famous on the lips of a generation out there. Revival's my revenge. Hey, you've been through too much to just try to get back what you lost. The devil hit your family, hit your finances, hit your faith, hit your grandbabies. They're in deconstruction. They've done this, he's done that. And I'm saying, no, this stuff in America, the way you've come at the church, man, devil, I'm telling you what, revival's my revenge. I'm not just trying to have good church. I'm trying to have God church. I'm not just trying to have a little bit of restore what I had and what I lost. I want revival. I have revivals, my revenge. Do you see that? Man, you did that to me, devil? Oh no, somebody's getting saved today. Oh no, we about to pray for some folks in the hospital. So we're going to raise the dead up in here. Come on, we're going to see somebody get delivered off crystal meth, crack, or whatever. We're going to see marriages put back together. Revivals are revenge, church. And I believe that if we will get that cry of restoration, we're going to see it. Would you bow your heads? You guys have been so good. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that all across this place, Spirit of the Lord falls in this place. He, he, <laughs> I'm kind of joking, but some places the Holy Spirit visits. I could feel he lives here. They're good people here, Lord. They're people that love you. I could, I could come in day one and preach like I've been here multiple times over the years because they gave me that that permission, so to speak, because they're hungry for God. Father, first of all, even before we begin to give an invitation, I just pray, God, right now, there are people that have been impacted by losses. And although I mentioned it, that really wasn't so much the direction of the word you gave me. It was just about, uh, Lord, meeting us in our losses. But yes, do that, God. Meet people that have lost loved ones. They've lost finances. They may have lost a business. They may have lost significant relationship. They may have lost emotional real estate, so to speak. 
There's been losses, God. And maybe some that even feel like in the midst of it, they went back to an old bondage, an old baggage. They went back to the ravine and picked back up the bag rather than go towards the fight. And maybe some just stood at the, the river Besor. That was the name of that river. And they just got stuck there. But Lord, I thank you, God, right now. You're lifting us up. You're giving us an arising spirit that we're going to rise back up, God. That's what we do. It, because you got up out of the tomb, we could get back up into our destiny, Lord. We thank you. We thank you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here right now, you're visiting, you're not right with God. You don't know if you were to die where you'd go. You know what? I have people say, prove to me that Jesus is real. Prove to me. And I have various things that I can't. I can prove to you if you're open to that proof. But what it began to turn in my head is that because I spent 20 years of my life not knowing the Lord, prove to me that a life that evicts Jesus off the throne seat of your heart a life that leaves that middle line unfilled between your birth and your death by not putting Jesus in the empty space. Prove to me that life pays off. What is the finished product of your philosophy? If going after money, going after things, going after popularity, going after love, going after love apart from Jesus' love, you know what I'm talking about? Like looking for love in all the wrong places kind of love. Prove to me that works. Prove to me that brings satisfaction. If having right popularity and the right A-lister hanging off your arm and everybody singing your praises, if that was the ultimate, Hollywood would be nirvana. But I fly through airports and there's enough of those kind of magazines on the cover of us, people, and on and on and on. It lets me know that the verdict has returned on that experimentation. It's failed. It's failed miserably. Because there's only one name. Only in Christianity, at the other end of your confession, comes a new life. You can burn that sage, you can chant that mantra, look in them chakras or read your chakras and all that stuff if you want to, but I've seen the finished product of that. And it not only does it not help and is a total waste of money, at the end of the day, you may be more worse for it because you put your hope in one more thing that let you down. That's where Jesus comes in. If you're here right now, you're not right with God. You don't know if you were to die, where you'd go. Jesus loves you. And that's what would make your, your utter separation from God such a tragedy. The only thing that can keep this moment from being the moment of your life is the pride that says, I'll do it on my own. If you could have did it on your own, you'd have done it by now. Jesus, the Bible says, went into hell. I was Hades, but hell because he took the sins of our transgressions. You ever lied? You ever like took something from someone that wasn't yours? You ever misrepresented? You, you ever hurt someone? You, you've fallen short, essentially. No one's perfect here. Your speaker's not perfect for sure. But Jesus took my sins, your sins upon him on the cross and died and he went into the Hades, hell, right? so that he could purchase salvation and freedom for you. And so what was Jesus saying? I'd rather go to hell for you than to go to heaven without you. You don't slap that hand back. You receive that hand. If you're here right now, you say, Sean, pray with me. I'm telling you right now, depression is going to be broken off your life. Addiction, bondages, obsessions. You're going to have the power in your no when you say no. You're not going to let that person abuse you and you're going to get out of that dysfunctional 
right? Codependent relationship because you're going to know you got someone that will never leave you nor forsake you. Others may walk out, but when they walk out, Jesus walked in. That's my story. If you're here right now, you say, Sean, pray with me. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to come back to the Lord. I'm tired of being made to hurt. I want to have eternal life. And I even talked about heaven. Let me tell you, heaven is awesome. There's going to be a place where there's no more dying, no more crying, no more COVID. Come on, somebody. No more junk. And it's going to be what everyone ever dreamed about, but then some, because the Bible says, eye has not seen, nor mind conceived, nor ears heard those things that God has laid away. Jesus is spent from when he left this earth as, as physical man. He has spent that time preparing a mansion for you. How awesome is that mansion going to be? And he lives and make intercession. If you're here right now, you say, Sean, pray with me. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to come back to the Lord. If that's you, wherever you're at right now, slip your hand up right now. Slip it up wherever you're at. Say, Sean, pray with me. Yes, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. I see about five hands. Anybody else? Not only if you need to make Jesus Lord, but maybe like the prodigal, you've walked away from God. Current activities of your life, you know God's not blessing. You need to come back to Jesus. If that's you right now, would you slip your hand up? Anybody would also, I want to pray rededication. Yeah. So some of the same hands stood up. All right. Yeah. A couple more hands. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Another hand. Probably eight hands. Anybody else? Let's all pray together. And if you pray this prayer and you mean it, let me tell you what. Immediate transformation. The Bible uses the word metamorphosis. Kind of like when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. You're about to go through the chrysalis process. That's the process whereby a caterpillar is being born again. That's literally the way the Bible would describe it. Let's pray. All of us as a community, let's say it together, fam. Say it with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess you. Lord of my life. I believe in my heart. God raised you from the dead. Lord, I repent. I turn away from attitudes and actions, selfishness and pride, any other thing that would separate me from you. I thank you, Jesus, that you love me. Come on, say it with me, that you love me. You've forgiven me. And I declare today, I'm a child of God and I got victory over the enemy in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message encouraged you today. For more information about Burning Hearts Church and our mission, please head to burningheartsfargo.com. If you are in the Fargo area, we would love for you to join us at one of our Sunday services, either 9 or 1045 a.m. Have a great rest of your week.